Welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. So about a dozen unicorns have emerged from BC in less than a year. This surge of these billion-dollar valuations, it's unprecedented for the local tech ecosystem here in the province. And while IPOs and exits have been responsible for some of these monster valuations, startups have also been going south of the border to seek investors willing to put up some big-time capital. So what should Canadian startups know first? With us today to dive into that is Natasha Allen. She is a partner at Foley and Lardner LLP. She's also a member of the law firm's venture capital M&A and transactions practices. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I've been covering this beat for close to a decade, and I've never seen anything like this with all this investor capital flowing into the province. And, uh, you know, back in March, I recall NFT giant Dapper Labs. It had a record setting $305 million US raise. And that was followed up just a few months later with Trulio back in June with nearly $400 million US. Um, I got to ask you first like, what is, generally speaking, kind of behind this surge? in investor capital, you know, maybe but not just Canada, but kind of globally, like pouring into a lot of these companies? Um, it's, it's a very interesting time because we're, I think we're all waiting for the, the bubble to burst. But um, during the, just the beginning or near the end of the pandemic, I think a lot of people had waited during that year. So 2020 in terms of what they would invest in, because they weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, and then as the year progressed and people had, or investors had money that they needed to get rid of, we saw this huge influx of, you know, capital and transactions happening, um, near the end of 2020. And it's been gangbusters ever since, um, a couple things, you know, kind of play into that, um, partially, you know, some of the, it depends on what industries are looking at, right? So some of the industries, uh, have proven that they are recession proof. Uh, I've also heard that, you know, some investors think that they can come in uh, to companies that maybe they wanted to acquire or maybe a strategic acquisition that maybe are in a situation where they need to sell or get investments or or have more favorable terms. I think right now what we're seeing is that actual companies are having the um, the benefit of the extra cash flow in the market. Um, so you're seeing better terms on the side of the companies. Uh, but again, I think it's it was the surplus of cash that kind of was held in abeyance for a bit while we were waiting to see how the pandemic um, flushed out or what happened at the end of the pandemic or when it was going to end. So this might be a philosophical question more than anything else. I, I don't even know if there's a real answer, but we can uh, debate it. But um, does that indicate that maybe some startups were being a little undervalued? Or what do you think this kind of indicates with all this extra capital flowing in? Uh, it could be, yeah, I don't know if there is the, the perfect answer, but some may be undervalued and some may be overvalued, right? I think it really just depends on the, the industry that you're in. Um, and, uh, so a lot of the, um, biotech plays, I think, um, are getting more investment, right? Um, you have a lot of, uh, companies that are working with government, um, agencies are, are getting more money. So I think it really depends on the the type of company you have. Uh, but then again, there are some investors that are going in for companies that aren't doing that well, who are limping along and know that they can probably get a better valuation if they go in at this point. So I think it's a mixed bag, depending you know, on what industry you're in. I, I've been talking to other CEOs that have been on the receiving end of a, a lot of this uh, big capital coming in. And I asked them, you know, what do they think is kind of behind a lot of these big time American investors coming over here? And they said that, you know, maybe it felt as if 
prior to the pandemic, um, these investors wanted to be in close proximity to the companies that they're investing in, whether maybe they drop in for a board meeting, just wanted to see the, the lay of the land. But, you know, we went into lockdown a, a year and a half ago and everybody got used to using Zoom. Is that kind of driving maybe um, people to look elsewhere, other jurisdictions more so than they would uh, at other times in um, history, I suppose? Absolutely. I think that people are recognizing that you can um, effectively do business while not being in the same room with somebody. I know that a lot of investors previously like to go visit, visit sites and and kind of, you know, touch or be in context with the the companies that they've, uh, they're investing with. But I think that what the pandemic has proven, like you said, with Zoom, you can touch companies that are doing fantastic things all over the world, right? You can have meetings, you can have 20 meetings with different people all over the world. Um, what I think it is it did, and I agree with this um, individual that you spoke to, is that it does, it has opened the eyes to investors that you can do business a different way and even kind of uh, expand your network um, by um, having meaningful relationships and getting a good sense of companies by not actually being in the same room. So I, I should have mentioned this at the top. Uh, you are based down in the United States, I believe in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area or, or Silicon Valley. Um, if you observe you know, some Canadian startups coming in, uh, wanting to seek funding from these uh, big American investors, uh, what advice might you have or, or what common mistakes should these Canadian startups avoid? Um, I think what uh, Canadian startups should do is think about their business, where their stronghold is, and will they be manufacturing in Canada? Will they have a, a, a stronghold in the U.S.? So really thinking about where where will be the kind of the center force of their company. Um, the second thing I would think about would be um, in terms of what investors want to invest in. Some investors are willing to invest directly in Canada. And sometimes that's beneficial, especially with the way that Canada has various, you know, shred credits, CCPC uh, benefits. Some companies want to make sure that they can benefit from those programs. And in some regards, some investors are willing to do that. But um, those credits, I think, have a limited time bound, right? So it depends on looking at, well, how much longer will you be eligible for those credits? And does it make sense to have maybe a foothold in the U.S.? So there's a lot of considerations in terms of where you are um, in terms of your fundraising, the stage of your company. Um, but um, some investors uh, prefer to invest in entities that are actually based in the U.S. And I think you open up more uh more opportunities if you have uh, a stronghold or some type of entity in the U.S. Well, that's interesting because I, I wrote recently uh, about kind of the, the launch of these satellite offices, especially, you know, like let's put like, as you say, kind of a stronghold down in the American you know markets. Um, but what do you think about the idea that Canada, it has to be a global market? We have a relatively small population, about the same size as California. Uh, we, we can't just rely on the domestic market. Is that kind of appealing to investors knowing that uh, these Canadian entrepreneurs are are used to thinking globally? Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? Well, do you think it's appealing at all to investors knowing that uh, Canadian entrepreneurs are used to trying to attract global markets just because we're such a relatively small market our, ourselves? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think they, with that knowledge, they recognize that there are going to be some concessions that have to be made, right? And Canadian entrepreneurs and founders are are well aware of that, right? If they want to, not even just in the US, but other places in the world, if they want to attract different investors, they have to make certain concessions. So I think that definitely is a, a benefit. 
So what has popped out to you about some of the success stories coming out of Canada? Is it something about Canada in particular, or is it mostly just kind of the individual entrepreneurs that are pursuing this and they just happen to be, you know, based here in, uh, in Canada? Uh, there's some interesting things coming out of Canada in terms of just uh, technology, uh, in terms of interplays with government um, and, you know, uh, medical devices. I've seen a lot of med medical companies um, looking for funding in, um, in the U.S. Um, and just different plays on how uh, technology can interact with the U.S. government and perhaps other governments as well. So there are some very interesting things coming out of Canada. So uh, very innovative ideas and and products and companies and you know who knows maybe it's part of the ability to have the shred credit that lets you kind of you know figure things out um with a very um beneficial credit behind you but there are some very interesting ideas coming out of the u.s so or, sorry, i recall Canada. yeah <laughs> i i, I follow <laughs> But uh, so I recall this, it would have been like six or seven years ago. It was a small startup at the time. They had uh, done like an incubator program uh, down in the Valley and it it really worked out for them. Um, They're among the kind of the unicorns to have emerged like over the last, um, uh, I guess, 10 months here in BC. And it's just kind of unprecedented. How important is it at this point for, you know, feet to be on the ground at the early stages? Don't necessarily need to have kind of an office set up there, but, you know, kind of, we're coming out of those restrictions that we saw during the pandemic. It's easier to travel now. The border is opening up. How important is it mm-hmm. going to be to uh, do more of that on the ground stuff versus just relying on Zoom to uh, make uh, new connections? I think that uh, especially for companies uh, in Canada that are coming to the Bay Area, it helps to um, get your no- name known. And there are different ways to do that. It's whether you do an incubator group where you can get connected with different investors who then know different investors who, who can refer you on, uh, or if you do various pitches, right? There are pitch competitions that are online still, um, some that are in person. But really what you want to be trying to do is get your name uh, or your company name kind of floating within the minds of, of investors in this area. And um, I think um, the ecosystem in Silicon Valley is such that, you know, if you get your name out to a few, it'll probably spread to many. Um, So I don't know if it necessarily has to be boots on the ground or if it has to, it could be something where you're just getting your name out there, maybe by virtue of, like I said, like an online pitch competition or incubators are always great because you're going to have the resources that can really help you um, and get, you can get in front of the right investors that are appropriate for your type of business. Well, before I let you go, I'm always curious about, you know, people that I'm talking to here. And I'm wondering what it is that drew you into VC and M&A as kind of a specialty. It's a very, very active sort of uh, industry, uh, as you know. But tell me about your interest in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, For me personally, the M&A is kind of my, um, I was always told as a lawyer, I have to have a major and a minor. So uh, M&A has always been there. Um, The VC work was very interesting to me when I uh, left Vancouver, because I am actually Canadian myself. So um, I practiced in Canada for many years, and then we moved to California. Um, But just getting to know kind of this ecosystem always was very interested in kind of who the players were. So for me, um, I do enjoy helping you know, founders figure out the legal side of things. Like there are some brilliant individuals, and I'm sure you've met many on your on your uh, recordings, but um, that can do fantastic things. And I always joke that I'm not that creative, but I can at least get their their ideas out there and get them funded and make sure that they're on the right path to to fulfill whatever dreams that they have uh, set out to achieve. 
Well, excellence. Uh, I hope that your uh, allegiance to the sports teams in Canada is still there even after your time in uh, California. But uh, you know, if not, okay, well, that's good too. But uh, Natasha, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. That is Natasha Allen. She's a partner at Foley and Lardner LLP. And that is it for the show today. We will be back soon, though, of course. You can go to BIV.com. More stories, more interviews up there. In the meantime, I just want to thank everyone for listening today. I'm Tyler Orton. 